This is always the weirdest part is just start because it's like, oh God, is this going to work? Just do your thing. Start it. Make it real. Make it rain. (laughs) Hold my hand. (laughs) No, guys, we're there. We're going to be okay. Three, two, one. Everybody. Welcome to Exo Squad Tools, the Exo Squadcast podcast. I'm Chris Mastalone. I'm Ryan Hardy. And I'm Chris Ferrantino. So we just watched episode nine. You know you can't stand it. I know you planned it. It's sabotage. Uh, what do you guys think of this one? Uh, Going right into it. It's, it's a pretty badass episode. It's so hard. Right? Um, yeah, dude, it rocks. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yeah. This um, episode is... Building off the last one where we had a lot of sort of like setting the stage and like you're seeing situations, this one is just all amazing all the time. At least that's what I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we really learn a lot about these characters and really see them in some hardcore situations. Yeah, so this episode begins with um, James, the leader of the Venusian Resistance, is selling Marsh, Marsala, and Deleon to the Neosapiens for food. And then uh, Nera shows up. Um, by the way, nobody questions why she's there. She just shows up. I don't know. It's like, oh, good. Nice of you to show up. Like, uh, I haven't seen you in a while, sis. Welcome to the snake tree. And then James says, well, okay, it's off. Because Nara says, if you're going to sell them, you're going to sell me too. And James goes, well, I can't do that. James, you can't do this. You can't turn them over to the Neo-Sapiens. I have to, Nara. I can't let them starve us into surrender. James, don't. They're my friends. I'm sorry, I don't have a choice. Then I don't have a choice either. You'll have to turn me over to the Neo-Sapiens too. I... I can't. The deal's off, Neo. And then the... Who is it? Uh, Draconis or the Neo-Sapiens? Like, well, I was just lying to you anyway. You're all... Is it actually the general or is it like an underling? Because I can't remember that. Like, uh... It's probably an underling, but he's like... Well, it was a, it was a trap anyway. <laughs> no, it, it's really interesting how quickly that James is, like, all ready to sell these guys for food. And then, basically, like you said, as soon as his sister shows up, he's just like, nah, I'm okay. We're good. No, why? You had this whole thing set up. You planned this thing. You hijacked their frequencies. Why would you suddenly decide that this is, it's okay to change the plan at this moment when they're already here? That seems free to lo-fi. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll ride for James Burns on this one. Like, he's kind of thrust into this role. Like, he's not... He's not someone who woke up and was like, I'm the, he like, he like just kind of found himself the head of the resistance. And he does like throughout the series, he does just a lot of dumb things. So he's like, yeah, no, I'll, uh, I got to sell out the exotroopers. Uh, and then Nara's like, don't do it. Uh, but he's also like a kid, right? So like, I don't know. I was like, sort of, is it ever said how old he is? Or is it just implied that he's younger than she is and she's pretty young? I think they just say that he's the younger brother. Because everyone, yeah, like the kid brother. Because everyone in that show looks thirty-five. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's well, like, like. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> this is this is the fun part because, again, to use the phrase, pulling back the kimono here. Chris and I are actually in the same room, uh, which usually we record it remote. So there's a lot of strange eye contact going on, a lot of pointing, thumbs upping. Uh, it's not yeah. strange for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I'm, it's, a, it's a new world of feeling <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm replicating the same thing with a mirror uh, so I'm feeling pretty great about it it's my own, it's my own ex machina um, I'm glad you Skyped into our uh, podcast Ryan 
<laughs> yeah, just, uh, you know, it, welcome to the Chris cast. It's Chris and Chris doing the Chris cast and our special guest, Ryan. Nine times <laughs> special guest, Ryan Hardy. <laughs> yeah, all time Ryan set. <laughs> Well, I, I, get, I get what you're saying, though, Ryan, is that James Burns did not intend on this lifestyle, and he's tried to do the best that he can for his people. He's just bad at it. Like, he's not, he's not, like, one thing that I think, one thing that ExoSquad does a good job of, like, discussing and dealing with a lot is, like, how, is people who are thrust, who have, like, responsibility thrust upon them? Like, a lot of people are not did not sign up for what they get in, uh, in ExoSquad. Like, they either rise to the occasion, like Napier, or they, like, just totally botch it, um, like, uh, like James. It's interesting to see, like, the, the resistances, like, all uniformly hate the ExoSquad. If it's Venus, if it's Earth, they all hate the ExoSquad. They feel abandoned by them. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's definitely a sense of, like, you know, they bore the brunt of it, like we saw in the last episode. You know, they were basically forcibly starved. And all this awful stuff going on. And then the Exos Troopers show up in, like, their fancy E-frames and cool-looking armor. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool-looking. We can't deny that. And they're just like, hey, we're here to fix everything. And the guys who are actually there are just like, no, you can't. This cannot be fixed. You know, this is, like, this is an actual situation. And I, and I think it speaks, too, to, like, this is one thing that like the Earth Resistance people bring up, and that the Venusian people bring up a lot, which is that like, like the Exo Squad definitely sees itself as like the avenging angels who are gonna like come in and fix it, but like they're they want to come in like on a on a on a white horse and like fix everything, but it's like every day we live in the sewers and like we are like oppressed and like killed and like nobody seems like no one like like Admiral Winfield is like got a pretty good setup in like the the belt. Like just chilling out. I don't. I don't want to get too heady on it. No, I do. I do want to get too heady. <laughs> but it's sort of like this. So there's this like local idea versus the sort of broader national idea. I don't. I'm not. I don't think that the show's necessarily making that point. But like you know, you have like people in their local communities are doing their thing, and then you have this outside force that's supposed to come in and help them. And they don't want it. It's sort of, it's very, it just sort of reminds me of this sort of big government, little government thing. Well, it, it's very much like, you know, this idea that the people that are actually there are like, these are our problems. These are the solutions that we need. And then the Exo Squad's like, we're going to fix the problems, but they don't really know how, th- especially in this and situation. And they're far away. They're over somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, no, definitely. They're, uh, I mean, like, you know, until they saw that helpful video left by James at the farm, they didn't know that they had packed up the cattle and sent them into the sun or <laughs> but literally just sent everything into the sun. That's kind of like the MO. And they're just like, well, he, you know, here's some, here are four E-frames and some like, you know, R rations. Have a good day. And people are, they're not, they're just fed up with it. It's not going to work for yeah. them. But there's also like the very dark side of it where they're just like, okay, well, you can't help. So we're going to sell you for food until my sister shows up. And if they, if she didn't show up, I mean, they would have, first of all, they would have gotten lit up because the, uh, the emissary that sent there is just like, ha. <laughs> You thought we were going to deal with you? Psych. People who, like, people who are, like, trying to, like, make deals with villains in cartoon shows are always in trouble. Like, it never works out. Like, they're never, like, like, dudes, <laughs> like, like, dudes like that Neo Sapien guy are never like, yeah, you know, you brought the Dexter Troopers to us, here's three months worth of food, have a great day. Like, they always fuck you over. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, villain, <laughs> villains are never... 
uh, great at making deals. No. It, it, it's funny. It's like it's almost as if they're the bad right. guys. Actually, yeah, I would I would disagree. I would think they're great at making deals. The uh, other side is not super great. Yeah, this episode also has a great. Uh, the other great thing of like along those lines is that uh, at the end, like to to finish that off, uh, while well, I finish stalling, uh, is that J <laughs> is that is that JT at the end like brings the rations to the troops to the to the Venusians. And uh, James is like, you know, I didn't plan on this. And JT is like, you don't plan on war, kid. Marsh, you gotta know this wasn't the way any of us wanted. Yeah, well, wars are like that, kid. For a lot of us. You do what you gotta do. But, like, one thing I think that separates JT Marsh from the other, from, like, a lot of the other troopers is that he gets the, like, you know, people aren't perfect. People do fucked up things. Like, it's... Yeah, JT forgives him pretty quickly. Yeah. Which I think is interesting, and it's sort of like this, like, this sort of the nature of war in a way that JT seems to understand, in a, maybe in a way that other people don't, which is like, you know, we, I get it, like, I get that war is hell, and you have to do what you have to do to survive, and it sort of brings into the question, like, what are the ethics of survival? Are there ethics to survival? Yeah. No, you know, and that's sort of like one of the things we talked about with uh, the character of JT Marsh is the, uh, the fact that he is the guy that is sort of a sounding board for all these different situations. You know, like, he is the guy that the character of Marsala reflects on. He's the guy that Nara reflects on. And, you know, for the, one of the first times we're really, I mean, except for Napier, which is his own beast, we're seeing, like, James, his situation reflecting on this career military guy who's sort of like the stabilizing force. And his reaction kind of says, like, what, how it should be. You know, JT is kind of like the moral center of the show where he's showing us how we should react to these situations. You know, it's like he realizes they're in a bad situation. He's like, look, it's not your fault, kid. It's just the way things are. <clears throat> Even though he, they were going to sell him and his friends for food. I will say one of the, one of the cool parts about this scene is uh, once everything starts going down, you know, everyone's kind of like cowering after, under fire and all that stuff. But JT freaking serpentines and jumps into the Marsala Nara frame that's been hidden in some bushes and just starts lighting shit up. And it's kind of awesome because it's, it's also a reflection of that whole thing where he has that ability to be like, okay, this situation's bad. I'm going to take care of this. Yeah, he's definitely like, like JT is definitely like a cut above. Um, this episode also had some really tight uh, general just like base action, like these are the toys you can buy stuff, um, including like all the uh, all the stuff with the fleet is awesome. And uh, oh, also the uh, the graph shield uh, can apparently just be like shut down. Like, oh yeah. Well, well, let's get back on uh, <clears throat> on the recap of the episode. Sort of like, so we have the scene where uh, where they're going to trade the food. There's a double cross. The humans are like, you know, again, psych. Yeah, that's my thing today, apparently. And my wife, um, just I'm just gonna run through all of them, and basically they turn the tables, they do they you know fight off the assault, and then uh, what the exo fleet's gonna come and they were responding to a distress signal. So yeah, so JT sends out this this uh, distress signal I think through Bronsky's use of Delion's frame, the best character in the show, and he somehow sends a montage uh, <laughs> to Winfield. It's like a video montage that he like took yeah um secretly and winfield gets it and he goes oh my god i didn't realize the situation was as bad as it was hey lieutenant what you doing on venus i want you to relay a message to admiral winfield okay boss let her rip 
The Neo-Sapiens are trying to starve the humans on Venus into submission. They've stripped the farms of everything. The people are starving. Mm, I didn't realize the situation was that desperate. Ordered the task force to proceed to Venus. So, like, that's a big thing. So the Exofleet is going to come and kind of, like, try to help out a little bit. So, like, meanwhile, Diana is trying to... She's sort of double-crossed the Neo-Sapiens, right? She's said, like, I'm an operative of... It would be Typhonus. Typhonus, I think, yeah, right? And so she gets, uh, she ingratiates herself with them and she turns the tables and tries to capture Dr. Algernon, but then she gets shot and taken away. And Draconis sure took his time getting me out of that cell. What's he afraid of? That I'll kidnap Zenobius? <gasps> He'd be right. It's you. What do you want? I've come for Professor Algernon. The graph shield must be stopped. Science cannot be stopped. But a scientist can. Shiva's Terran spy turns out to be a saboteur. We Neo-Sapiens know how to deal with traitors. You can kill me, but you can't destroy the Resistance. You can't win, Draconis. We'll never give in. How unfortunate. Even if you are correct, you will not be here to see it. Can I say one thing about when she shoots that guard? I... Uh, she first of all she says to the guy the guy's like you know how are things going and she's she literally says something to the, the equivalent to it's going to be a lot better after i shoot you and the guy's like oh what and then she turns around and shoots him and there is visible blood in this shot it's kind of amazing she turns pretty quickly to but I, but it's like going back to that episode where she is realizing that her family was sent to the sun and i wish i kind of wish there was more of a moment in that episode yeah was it 8 it th- yeah, it was in uh, or seven scorched, scorched Venus, Venus, Scotch penis, and and you re- and she realizes that her family's been murdered, yeah, um, and that really just motivates her to do what she does. Yeah, no, it's it's a big transformation, but it's like again, like you said, you want if it were a film, we'd get like a swell of music and like sort of a dramatic moment out of it, but partly because we're in a half hour like Saturday morning cartoon, it really comes down to like, okay, here's your 15 seconds. You're going to say this thing. We're going to punch in. And then we're out. Deleon's going to say something about murdering you. And then that's the Diana story. And it, it, it is one of the times where the medium kind of is wanting a bit because like, this is such a good moment. and such a good story with this character and you want to like get into it, but we have to like blow through so much stuff. We have to, you know, have them quip about having a two seater E-frame and all this stuff and swim in a swamp and, you know, all sorts of teaching Marsala how to thumbs up that we can't focus on this like amazingly deep, terrible moment with a character. But you know, yeah, I, them's I, the breaks. I, I think the more like uh, friend of the pod Josh Gee brought up the like that it really was designed to like compete against anime, and I think we see a lot of that. Um, you know, as it as it bumps up against the limits of the medium, because like you do sort of have to have the like show stuff like the the toy stuff and like show off like the e-frames and like how cyberjacks work and stuff i think they they get better at navigating it so this episode kind of ends with um uh the resistance and james and all them create a diversionary attack on the graph shield meanwhile marsh and marcel and de leon uh infiltrate the graph shield and capture dr algernon and what do they do they convince him to um, rewrite the code to make the graph shield um, not inoperable, but they sort of the exofleet's on its way. The neo sapien fleet is on their way to con- confront them, and they um, 
convince Dr. Algernon to change the coordinates of the Grav Shield from the Exofleet to the Neo Sapiens. If we can't destroy the Grav Shield, the fleet's good as dead. The shield cannot be destroyed, but it can be redirected if there's time. This program should redirect their targeting computer. Our ships have pulled back to safety. Now activate the Graf Shield. What is the meaning of this? Your invention has destroyed the wrong fleet! I, I don't understand. Algernon said... Which is interesting, because you see like a few of the Exofleet ships actually get destroyed, and then the Graf Shield changes, and then... Um, destroys the Neo-Sapien fleet. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like the, the big move at the end of the episode, which is and then, pretty serious. And then they, they manage to escape, but it also leads to one of, the, uh, one of the best lines in the whole series, where after having the Venusian fleet crushed to death, uh, Phaeton gets on the horn and he's like, As for you, Draconis, I have diverted part of our Earth fleet to protect Venus. Try not to destroy it, or you'll be joining Zenobius. He's like, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Didn't mean to. But they also, one of the big things too is that they make the, uh, the shift in targeting untraceable. So freaking Zenobius gets the fate of all villains in animation, dragged off by two Neo-Sapiens to an unknown fate. Yeah, he gets the short end of the stick. <laughs> like, they're like, you don't need humans around. You can do this. You're a genius. I spent billions for your research, Zenobius. And all you have given me is a disaster. It, it is not my fault, Phaeton. You are the inventor of the Graf Shield. You promised me it would work. Whose fault could it be but yours? No one's. Take him away. Yeah, you you all laughed at me when I said that was the fate of every villain, and it's happened like four times since then. So, <laughs> but Zenobius is just such like a. I feel bad for him. I'm I'm the only one without an MFA, by the way. <laughs> Um, yeah, but Zenobius, Zenobius also has that raw moment where Zenobius is like, but I didn't do it. And Phaeton's like, then who did? And Zenobius is like, well, I guess nobody, because I made the graph shield. Like, yes. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's such a tragic character. Like, yeah. He can't win for trying. And like, you're kind of rooting I, I for feel, him. Yeah, weirdly. I like, feel bad for Zenobius. Like, he's... He he's one of the neo, he's one of the characters in the show that I think winds up being one of the more tragic guys. No, for real. Like, you know, his arc is that, you know, he found a genius and basically rode his coattails and then made this amazing thing, amazing terrible thing, and just got in over his head. And yeah, I mean, there's a shot of him where he, if I remember correctly, he's just like almost looking at his hands, like I don't, I just don't know, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And he's, you know, like you said, it's super tragic. Drag, you you kind of hope that like he's gonna take get you know a ride with the exo fleet or do something good or have a redeeming moment but it's like nope you're just gonna get ex shot against the wall sorry buddy better luck next time it, it reminds me a lot and exo squad does this pretty often which is like i was i was reading this thing about um horror movies and like like the whole thing about the whole way horror movies work is that the punishment always wildly outweighs the crime like whatever they were like whatever someone was doing um was bad but not bad enough to get what happened to them and like i feel like exo squad does that a lot zenobius like yeah he probably shouldn't have stolen dr algernon's research but he gets like shot like straight up shot and like that happens to a bunch of people in the uh in the series i can't think of any right now but i know it happened well i mean like you look at how many characters have there been where you know, you look at the mayor of Phaeton City who, I mean, he is trying to 
exploit the situation, but he's also in a way trying to hope for survival, you know, and he gets yeah. dragged away. There's sort of like a question of like, I mean, I'm probably going to not say it right, but there's sort of like a question of like, if you're I- idealistic in one particular way, you'll be fine. But if you're, if you hedge your morals, then you're in trouble. Like if he was, you know, he's trying to exploit it so he gets in danger. Like Zenobius is pretending and that's his crime. Like if he was just honest and had just said what it was originally, like, you know, like you see characters and they're like, if they're ideologically good, pure, they survive. Or if they're evil, they survive. But it's the ones who exist in the, in the morality between good and evil that often struggle. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, going back to the end, if I remember, she gets killed in this episode, no? Or no, does she, she survive? I think she kind of gets dragged she gets, away. Yeah, she gets kind of like dragged she's away. She's all villains in. <laughs> yeah, right, again. Because again, she's someone who, but even with her, you see sort of the contra of uh, Zenobius' situation where Zenobius kind of just cruised along hoping for the best. But Diana actually like worked to change her situation. She realized what happened and was like, I'm going to make a difference. And she ends up, again, getting dragged away by two large Neo-Sapiens to probably be shot. But she's probably the most like human character. Yeah. You know, and it's like anybody, we, we tend to love the ideologically pure because it's easy to do that. It's easy to say I'm for something 100% and not for something 100%. Yeah. It's very difficult to say like, let me listen to like, let me react to the situation as a person or listen to both sides of the situation. It's, it's, and the, but those are the characters that get killed and it's, and that's troubling. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, as a kid, you're just like, cause again, like we were talking off, off air, the best time to talk. Uh, we were talking about the idea of like, when you watch these things as a kid and you watch them later on and as an adult, you know, you see the struggles of Zenobius of, you know, being like, what am I? And that's a very human thing, but it just doesn't fit into this world, you know? Diana's thing, like you said, it's very ideological, ideologically pure, where you can be like, she's made her choice. She was on one side, now she's on the other side, and we can agree with that. You know, the reason we love the exotroopers is they are on one side. The reason that the Neo-Sapiens kind of give us pause is that most of them, except for Phaeton, is that they're on the other side but they were also kind of screwed over by their situation. You know, they were exploited for, say, 50 years since the revolt. Now we're supposed to think of them as just like the black and white bad guys. But do you guys think like in moments of war or survival that there is black and white or that there is like a morality and like a, a gray area? Like you're trying to survive, like is what James Burns does, is that acceptable or is it? do not sell out people. So, yeah, so we, we get it. I don't know. I'm, I'm very much on the James Byrne side of it. Like, I'm, I, I don't think what James did was right, but I'm much more sympathetic to what he was doing than, uh, and even Diana, right? Like, they had an impossible choice, and they made a choice. Like, you, you can't, uh, like, one character we don't see a lot of, um, except for Diana, really, is, like, a collaborator who does so because they think that will, like, limit the damage. Like every every neo sapien collaborator we see, um, really except for Diana, uh, is like obviously in it for themselves, right? Like the mayor clearly wants to, like the mayor of Chicago clearly just wants to, uh, like get a better deal for himself. But yeah, she. I mean, she's in it to try to save, at least try to save somebody. So it's for herself, but it's for her husband. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I 
I feel like I feel like JT's approach is basically right, which is like you have like you have to make it right. If you if you don't like make it right, if if you if you did something crappy and you're sorry about it, it doesn't really count until you've like actually fixed it. Um, and sometimes fixing it like really sucks. It's almost an impossible task, especially in war, to try to please everyone. You just can't, you know. And especially when you have a squad. Like they're, you know, a very diverse squad from different places, different backgrounds. I mean, Marsala's situation, for one, you just cannot make it right, no matter what you do, especially with his background with, like, Phaeton. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about is that, you know, at least it's been implied that Marsala had a role in the resistance. I mean, there's no way to make that right. Um, there's just too many interests at once. And that's, I think that's one of the more interesting, like, points of conflict within the squad. But do you think, like, you can, you should survive at all costs? Or do you think there's a limit to which human, like, I'm talking in general, I'm not talking about, like, this show, like, um, at what at what point is it not the right, the right thing to survive, rather, you know what I mean? Like, is it better to die? You kind of get to that point, right, where, like, like, you're... Would you eat me? <laughs> is my question. You have some uh, sweet baby rays because yeah. you put uh, that in anything, I, I will eat it. Um, yeah, like I, I have this, I have this general <laughs> theory about like, about like life and stuff, and it's like if you make, if you make a choice that's a bad choice, it becomes that much harder to make the right choice, and eventually it becomes so hard that people just don't do it. Like people could do it, but they don't. Like, like it's a bad, like it's like when James makes, like James makes a lot of bad choices. And then finally, like, makes the right one. And Diana does, too. And, like, sometimes you don't make it out. But, like, I don't know. I think given the situation, it's easy to see where... I think you get a, I think you get a choice about that stuff. And some of it works and some of it doesn't. Like, I mean, I think we're all generally in agreement that in his situation, James is doing the best he can. Yeah. One of the characters we keep seeing over and over again is that there's a starving child who's, like, a skeleton. And, you know, he can't look at that. I mean... He, Kind of in the way he's been speaking, he's said that there are people that he sacrificed in favor of others. And when you look at that kid, it's hard to be like, don't feed him. We're, we're above that. We're going to take the high ground. It's like, no, screw these like exofleet guys. Get some food. You know, especially when you got to keep the fight going for as long as yeah. you can. Especially, especially when Dalyon literally is just like, I don't want to, like, I'm not taking food from kids. Like, yeah. It's not Cordon Bleu. <laughs> that's not remotely what he sounds like that's terrible no i mean it, it, it's <laughs> grab your escargot bag uh, and get out of here go find gerard Depardieu and be in an art film with him uh-huh. before we must contact the neos we only have 14 bottles of wine for today <laughs> um what do you guys think about how dark this show is so far is it it's been pretty serious and i wonder like you know, we talked about this uh, under the kimono, but <laughs> um, I, I want to ask it on air. But like, how how do we treat the nature of the darkness of the show and and of shows in general? Like, like there's a lot of things that are on that are very upsetting today that are very dark. Game of Thrones, um, Walking Dead, things, shows like that. Um, why do we? Why are those shows so popular? Why do we? Why is it important to see that? I think that I think there's something to the idea that these are thi- like these are things that we as a species and a society want to talk about, but it's 
there's definitely a stigma about like being into like weird dark things and like tv and media and music gives us a level of abstraction that we can be like yeah i mean it's fucked up but like if the nazis were like hey man like you can save 200 lives if you help us out like i would feel hard pressed i wouldn't i can't i can't stand before you uh podcast mic in hand and say that i uh i definitely wouldn't do that like no it's the uh dilemma of schindler's list it's why it's such i mean it's one of the reasons why it's such a compelling story is that you know you if you were given the situation where you, you can risk but save like a ton of people i mean that's that's the ultimate gamble in terms of darkness i feel like there's i mean we live in generally such a safe life these days you know it's not like like i was sort of thinking about i was listening to a podcast about like roman history and it was sort of that idea that it doesn't matter if you were you know the the emperor or a farmer you grew up with death around you all the time either you killed your food someone in your family died of got a cold and died you joined the army to gain status you know it was just in human history it was always such an ever-present element and i feel like in our life the, these kinds of shows allow us to sort of explore those darker feelings and elements where you you grow attached to a character and lose them, but in the end you don't really experience actual loss. It's not like you know you've lost a grandmother or anything, a relative or whatever. But like it's a safe, it's kind of a safe space to explore these feelings of love and loss, you know, kind of severely, especially the way that people get into shows these days. That's something that, like especially anime, did more than Western animation. I mean, going back to the 70s or so, you know, they introduced a main character and kill them off after like 200 episodes. Yeah. Just because they could. Yeah. One of the things I've always found interesting about um, like these kind of like like TV shows and like franchise and just like franchise fiction in general, uh, especially like like science fiction, too, is like there's a real strong focus on like warrior culture and like warrior societies and stuff. And one of the things I think about I think about that is like because that. It, it gives you an easy, it, it, it makes it easier to have those kind of discussions when things are a little more black and white. Like when, yeah. when things are, when, when the stakes are that high, it's easier to think of, think in absolutes. And the other, the flip side of that is like, it's cool that Exosquad and shows like it could be like, opposing fascism is great. And like, you know, posting on Facebook that you don't think people should be wrongfully imprisoned is awesome. But like, it's not really, you know, when the shit hits the fan and like in the, the dirty in between, like thing, it's tough out there. Like really presented with like a real problem, it's like pretty raw. It's not as easy to see who the villains and the heroes are as it is um, in like a more in a different kind of situation. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean, I, I guess I'm interested in that dirty in between that you talk about. You know, because I think it's it's very easy to have your ideals and to say I would do this or I wouldn't do this in the abstract right but until you have to get down to like whatever it is to be a person whatever the humanity is which is very abstract and obscure and um it's not black and white like nothing's black and white i think that's the illusion right to to do the ellie sadler from Jurassic park like you never had control that's the illusion right. and like and we and we also like i think we like we all envision ourselves as doing the right thing and we might actually think whatever we're doing is right. Like Diana doesn't Diana doesn't wake up every day and be like, "Man, I am the worst. Like I am terrible." She's like, "I like I may, like in James the same way. Like 
he doesn't see what he's doing is wrong until the Neo-Sapiens, like, betray him and don't give him the food. Like, there's definitely a version of the story where he gets the three months of food and they keep going and doing it and uh, it's go, it's done. Like, it really says a lot about, like, and again, going back to the morality of the show, where this is something where you wouldn't expect this, you know, this real Sophie choice kind of thing, where, like you said, they very realistically could get the three months of food, keep doing, like, basically terrorist attacks, and eventually starve to death or be hunted down and murdered, or they can just do the moral thing. You know, I think the, uh, the meat of it lies in that moral choice, where, you know, the show will always push its characters to do what's right in terms of its morality. But we need to put them in these situations where they can really show their show off the choice. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I feel like that's a very important thing in the show is that we, you know, again, JT Marsh gets the opportunity. Delion's like, kill Diana. She's not useful to us anymore. And he says no. And because of that choice an episode ago, she comes back and, I mean, she doesn't succeed. That's one thing. But, like, she almost kills Aldrinan. You know, it's sort of this idea that if you do the right thing at the right time, maybe something good comes of it down the line, but it's not a guarantee. Yeah. So it's like, we should try to strive for this good thing, even if, you know, these, the odds are slim and it doesn't work all the time. And it's, I think it's that idea of hope that is really important to the show. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of these things that kind of sets it apart from, like, like, Game of Thrones is a freaking black hole, man. Like, I, I love it, but it's a goddamn, like, you know... Oh, you know, I, I like that police I, boy. He smiled at the poor guy once. Well, he got his head split by I, an axe. I've, Sorry. I've, I've, never, I've never left an episode of Game of Thrones and <laughs> been like, I have a better idea about how to live my life. Like, um, <laughs> It's not an inspiring no. show. It's, there's nothing you take away from I mean, it it's, that like, gives you strength. It's, it's not supposed to be, right? Like, it's, it's, no. It's, it's, no, no. Like, it, it's, a reflection, it's a reflection of its creator who clearly just does not like people. And it's like, just a reminder, everyone is awful. And like, Can I just say, it's, it's, it's Lord of the Rings written by a New York Jets fan. And I'm a Jets fan. That's fucking... So that's, dude, that's fucking the worst thing you can awesome. have. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, everything, it's like, every, it's like, you know, it would be cool if we all were like really strong and really big and really powerful and like always sure of ourselves. But like, I don't know. The other thing I think about it too is like, if you did a survey of 100 people and you were like, hey, is it good to like betray your friends uh, to like the uh, your like oppressors? Like 100 people are going to say no. But then again, if you ask them a survey and you're like, is it good to do what you need to do to keep 100 people alive for three months? Like 100 people are going to say yes. And then you're like, well, which one is better? Like there's also that like, you know, three people for 100 people's lives. Like, I don't know. The math is too cruel and the math is too simple to explain like how hard it is, right? Like I wouldn't I would never want to be in James's like of all of the characters I think in in Exo Squad, I would want to be in James's position the least. But it goes to like, do you blame the Neo Sapiens for what they're doing? Um, not really. Do you blame the humans for fighting back? Not really. Um, you know, the whole the whole show is built on this sort of moral complexity and uh i go back to a tom hanks movie always <laughs> a story in one hanks um but i go back to saving private ryan and the whole 
theme of that movie, the idea of that movie is how do you find something decent amidst war? And JT, by forgiving James for selling them out, is man- manages in some small way to find decency amongst war. And I think it's hard. And I don't blame people for doing what's in their best interest. I really don't. Like, I don't think you can. Yeah. And it- but I think, I think anytime you're able to find a grain of like, because I think it's hard and I don't think it's, I think it's value is sort of floating, but I think that there's something to finding decency and finding humanity amongst these awful situations. And, yeah. And I think, and I think about this a lot too, with like, you know, everything that's going on, like every, everyone seems super eager to draw lines in the sand about everything, like from, from who you voted for to, um, you know, what kind of wine you drink. Um, and like, and I don't know, like, like history. Oh, you know what I, you know what I wish, I w- what phrase I wish was said more? What? I wish people said, I don't know hmm. more. And because I just, people seem to be so certain about things. Sorry to cut you off, but everyone, everyone is a hundred percent sure of everything all of the time. Like, and, and, and being wrong is the worst, is the worst possible, right? Is the worst possible thing in the world. You can't just say, oh, I learned something. I was wrong. I learned something. Yeah. Hey, that's why we have Twitter, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So we can, so we can remind 400 people how we feel, how our right opinions every single day. Like, I mean, unless it's the Exa Squad Goals Twitter handle, then it's right all the time. Yeah. Uh, Just don't, don't, don't front. The echo was never on. What are you talking about? The mic always worked. (laughs) (laughs) Own it. Own it, baby. No one one ever lost a sound file. Not Ryan, not anyone. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm just going to reverb the shit out of this part. Going forward. (laughs) I'm just gonna throw it on, like put it in like the biggest church I can find, and just go nuts. Oh man, I would, um, I would, I would kill as an evangelical minister, uh, <laughs> as long as it was about Exo Squad and uncertainty. Then crushing it. Exo Squad will be back in a moment. Hey everybody, it's Chris here. Just want to pop in for a second, and say thanks again for listening. I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to the people that have been reaching out to us on Twitter. It's always great to hear from you guys and gal. Referencing here, uh, listener Mauschen. Really cool to get in touch, and you know, glad we're uh, you're enjoying the program. Uh, if you guys have any questions that you want to cover in that end of season one episode, hit us up on Twitter at exosquadgoals or hashtag exosquadgoals. We'll find it. Or you can find us on email at exosquadgoals at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, just keep the questions coming, comments. If you have any things you really can't wait to hear discussed, let us know. Or even if it's like tangentially related to the show, because a lot of people from this show went on to do some crazy stuff. You know, if you've been enjoying the podcast and you get a chance, pop by uh, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen in. Just leave us a review and a rating. It always helps people find it. Uh, while on that topic, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, even if they don't know ExoSquad, tell them about it. Let them know, because, you know, hopefully they can get into it, maybe uh, find some new fans after all these years. Because, I mean, hell, this show deserves all the attention it can get. But uh, this is a long episode, so I will let you guys get back to it. Until next Saturday. Bye! Now back to ExoSquad. So, guys... Who do you think your MVPs are for this morally complex and awesome episode? Ooh, this one's tough. This is tough, but I think Ryan talked me into James Burns for making a difficult decision and doing what he thought was right and then reversing it when he thought that was right. Even though we don't like that, we don't like characters changing their minds, but I think he's, uh, he, you know, he's a young kid with a smoker's voice.
Yeah. <laughs> he's gone through a lot. Wars- is he De Leon? Is he the same guy? He's- or is he Bronski? He might be De Leon, I think. I think because he has a light, like a, a like a lighter voice. I guess might be the right way to say it. It's tough for someone to hate himself like that. Yeah, right. God, who you got, Ryan? Uh, I'm I'm gonna give it up to Zenobius. Uh, I think he I I really do like feel for that moment, like when Faith when he's like, but it wasn't my fault, and Phaeton's like, then whose fault was it? And he's like, it it was it was it was no one's. I like. I don't know. I think that that scene really... I think he he puts himself into a situation that I could easily see myself being in. And that's that's the thing I feel about James, too, is like, I can't I can't stand before you and be like, I 100% would not do the fucked up thing in this situation. Like... <laughs> no, and can I say, just while we briefly touched on the like graph generator kind of storyline, can I just say how terrifying it is when they actually show that thing in action and it's taking a giant exocarrier and squishing it down to nothing. And you see people like basically grabbing their heads and writhing around. It's that's a terrifying freaking weapon. And the whole reason they have it is because the exo fleet said his, uh, said it was too expensive. So way to go. Algernon. Yeah. Uh, Ultimate dick. Professor Algernon rules. Yeah. Um, he is amazing and awful. Talk about moral ambiguity. Like yeah. that guy is the king of it. Yeah. yeah Al- Jesus Christ. Almost like amoral. He's like, I don't care. Like, what do you, like, like, I don't, yeah. no, I don't, no, like, like, I don't care if anyone lives or dies. I don't even, I give so little shit about people. I don't want them to see the paintings I make because they won't get it. Like, <laughs> okay. So I got to say, um, I will go for three different ones. I'm going to say my MVP is Diana. Cause in this episode, you know, in the last, I guess in the last episode, I should say, we got her revelation that her family she thought was being exiled that she was going to go see is dead and that they were going to kill her. And she's just like, ha ha ha, I'll work with you guys. But she's doing the whole thing just to try to get revenge. And it kind of is this great example of the show where she has this revenge plot and she has it all planned out in her head. She does everything right. And she loses. She doesn't succeed. She, as far as we know, is killed, dragged away by two dudes the fate of all reformed villains. And, but it, it just shows in this show that sort of nothing ever works out like you think it's going to go. And it's a very real experience where, you know, you expect, oh, she's going to succeed. She's going to do the thing. She's going to save the extra squad by sacrificing herself. And really her whole breath and width of her plan comes to nothing. Nothing happens. Yeah. She shoots one dude and then gets captured. And that's it. So, I mean, in, in a way, I like her because she just kind of shows how hard it is in this show to do anything and have it succeed. In this world, we are all, we are all Bronskis and the world, is our, the world is our Dalyon's frame. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 like it's, it's too complicated and we're out of our depth all of the time. And, like, anytime we can fix it a little, anytime, like, you can fix it a little bit or, like, you know, get it to work that one time... Like that shouldn't, that's like, you shouldn't be like, you know, you didn't, you didn't make it, but like you tried, like you gave your best, like, no, for real. Yeah. Um, and well, we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, probably um, running a little long, yeah. but I will say we come out with a new episode every Saturday without a doubt. Episode 10 is the next one. It's called abandoned. So if you have separation anxiety, this is not the episode for you. I'd like to thank Eric Calderon for our intro and outro music. It's excellent. It's shred-tastic. 
check out his shit on YouTube. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, some episodes are on YouTube. Some are on SoundCloud. It's not the best platform for our show, but we use it anyway. Tell uh, your friends. Yeah, spread the word, man. You know, there's a, this big, you know, on these big fancy podcasts out there owned by, you know, the man. Yeah. There's a big promotion going on about, like, Tripod. Well, you know what? Tell some people about this one because it's a good podcast and, you know, we want to hear from you. So reach out to us at exosquadgoals at gmail.com. Hashtag exosquadgoals on Twitter. Send us a message. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we have some editorial issues with Ryan on Twitter, but we'll handle them. Nobody, yeah, everybody, everybody be cool. Ryan, it's cool. <laughs> you know, we're, we're setting the guidelines. And I can assure you, Ryan especially is focused on making this right. Yeah, and we will not respond to any Twitter sent after 5 p.m. on a Friday. That's the no-go zone. Yeah. The happy hour zone. Yeah. Again, not Ryan's fault. Much like the Echo, which, again, never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no Echo. There was an Echo. <laughs> What are you talking about? Yeah. And again, we're going to do a season one wrap-up episode. So if you have any questions about like the world building of the show, just some general macro questions about the universe, anything like that, reach out to us and we'll like do a deep dive on it. You know, We really want to get into some of these things that we can't really handle on an episode-by-episode -episode basis because they're not really tied to the, uh, the plot per se. But it's a bigger question about like sort of the nature. It's kind of like what we went into a little bit here about the nature of darkness, you know. It'd be really cool to go into some of those ideas, but send them into us and we'll, uh, we'll take a shot at them. But uh, in light of any other revelations... I look forward to diving deep. Oh, the deepest dive. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Please tell, us your, tell your friends about our podcast and send us money. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Two Loopy Ladies, by the way. Uh, oh, two yeah. Loopy Ladies. <laughs> two Loopy Ladies. You can visit Two Loopy Ladies on Etsy. Um, just search for Two Loopy Ladies. They have wonderful selection of crocheted items, scarves, hats, you name it. Um, please uh, check it out. Give it a buy. Exactly. We will tweet out the address with this, uh, with this episode. But for ExoSquad Goals, I'm Chris Massalone. I'm Ryan Hardy. And I'm Chris Ferrantini. Are there any heroes in this company? No, no sir. sir. like our podcast as much as I do. No, I, I, I dig it, man. Like, I really get a kick out of it. I, I have to listen to it, like, a bunch of times while cutting it, but I really do get a kick out of it. It reminds me of this old line from The Clash, where uh, they asked Joe Stormer why they started The Clash, and they were like, well, I didn't like any other bands, so I wanted to make a band I wanted to listen to, and that was The Clash. And I feel like that's the way, like, Exo Squad Goals is. <laughs>